looks really unspiritual what you're doing. <laughs> right. Oh, now it's really unspiritual. That guy showed up. Well, good morning. That's what happens when Pastor Matt sets his own levels before service, so you're welcome. Good morning. We're so glad you're here. I'm Pastor Matt. We are just glad to be worshiping with you this morning here at Victory Life Church. If this is your first time worshiping with us, welcome to you. We're so glad you're here. We'd love to get to know you, be able to tell you a little bit more about the church here. And so there's a welcome card in the seat back in front of you. If you'd fill that out, and take it out these doors and turn right after service. You'd be at the Welcome Center. There'll be somebody to greet you there, tell you a little bit about the service, play a guitar riff in your ear, and, uh, and say hello to you. They will also uh, give you a gift. So if you're new here, we'd love for you to fill that out. If you're watching online, welcome to you. There's a New Here tab right at the top of our website this morning. Click on that, and we'll be sure to go ahead and contact you that way this week. There is some big things going on here at Victory Life Church today. The biggest thing is today is our Mexico lunch auction. And so we have partnered for about 12 years with a ministry called La Fuente, Heart for Mexico, that plants churches in southwest Mexico in an unreached portion of the globe. And we help them to plant churches, and we are thrilled to be partnering with them again. We're sending down a team this summer, and this is the main mechanism by which we support them as a church is to do this big lunch and auction. So if you have not yet perused that piece of paper that's in your hand, that is part of our silent auction this morning. You can go ahead and fill in after service uh, your bid on any of those great items. But I have been given a script here by our missions director, Bill Anderson, and I must follow it in mutual submission. Today is the day. Come and have fun and get some great food to eat. This is for the whole family, so here's the thing. There will be activities for the kids. So if you're scared, your kids will be bored. There's a sticker activity book. There are also 14 door prizes, if you come to the lunch today, that are available to you. And so if you get there, you will fill that out, and there'll be door prizes available. It's $6 for adults, 4 for children. Uh, We've added new baskets in the lobby today. Bidding will continue through the end of the lunch. And there's a park hopper pass, apparently, If you pay for your lunch after first service in this lobby right here, you can skip the line after second service. So, anyhow, I really do want to encourage you, come back this afternoon since your first service, folks. If you're not interested in eating, that's fine. Come and bid on things and yell at people and uh, have a great time and turn off the lights and do all the things that are necessary at a Mexico missions luncheon. So, 
we would hope that you'd come back and participate today. It is going to be so much fun. If you've never seen people bidding against each other in this church, you haven't seen something important. So we hope you come back for the Mexico Missions Lunch. Also today, I want to make you aware that one of our great things that we do over the course of the summer is what we call Bible and Barbecue. It's a way that we can connect as Christians, study the Bible, and of course eat. Uh, Acts 2.42 says that Christians ate together from the earliest times. So it's a way that we fellowship during the summer. If you're interested in some discipleship, getting to know some new people here at Victory Life this summer, go ahead and go to our website, click on the Bible and Barbecue, and sign up for one of those. Our children's director, uh, Jody, has asked us to let you know that Family Fun Night begins on June 1st, and that's kind of in the same vein. You're able to go and enjoy a time together uh, as a family and do some activities, get to know some other families in the church, and have a great time with your kids. And those happen twice a month through the summer, and your kids will be sent home with all types of information today. Uh, We are going to uh, also encourage you today, if you're part of Victory Life, to take part in our tithes and offerings. There are three ways that you can do that. You can text to give. You can give online. Or as you exit the sanctuary today after the service, there's a box that says offering. And we are always blessed to be able to worship the Lord through our tithes and offerings here at Victory Life because he is worthy. He's worthy. All right, would you stand today? We're going to pray and prepare our hearts for worship. There is one more major announcement for you today, one that should bring great rejoicing in the house of the Lord. The real communion bread is back. And so if you have been grieved for many, many months, well, it's, that's all about to change. So, but it's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to worship. It's going to be good to partake in the Lord's Supper. And now let's prepare our hearts to give him a sacrifice of praise. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, you are worthy of every bit of praise and adoration we can give you today. You are worthy for us to say unto you that you are awesome. You are worthy for us to say that we need you. You are worthy for us to declare our love for you. And so, Lord, however we come to you today, whether it's in rejoicing or in grief, Lord, be honored by our worship in this place, and may the presence of your Spirit guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him together today. Let's put our hands together.
from battle to blessing we go in Jesus name from morning to glory in Jesus name from morning to dancing in Jesus name from battle to blessing we go in Jesus name we see your faithfulness in the dark fun. <laughs> so we can't hear absolutely anything. So we're just kind of playing along here with tracks. So, um, uh, but no, we can't hear anything. So we're just going to wait a second. You guys will really, really enjoy worship a lot more if we can hear, because then it'll sound correct. So we're going to give our tech people just a moment to see if they can figure out what's happening here. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. The encouragement's great. All right, we've got some sound back for a moment. It's not guaranteed that it won't drop again, so we'll just see what happens. Let's, let's move along. <laughs> His grace is on our side. Here we go. No, 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 we'll do yes, I will. I'm just saying His grace is on our side. We need it this morning. goes again. And I count on one thing, the same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now. And in the waiting, the same God who's never late is working all things out. Working all things out. Oh, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy in all my days. Oh, yes, I God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now. And in the waiting, the same God that's never late is working all things out. Working all things out. 
You may be seated this morning. There is a reason to praise the Lord this morning. And the greatest of those reasons is that the Lord Jesus Christ died for us in our place to make atonement for each one of our sins. Atonement is a Christian word that means a covering, to cover over to make sure that on the day that we stand before God, we would not be in a place where we would be utterly concerned about where we stood with him. But instead, we would be able to say, the Lord Jesus is my righteousness. The Lord Jesus is the one who has made a way for me to stand before God. So today we're going to enter into a time of communion just as the Lord Jesus instructed us to to remember that great sacrifice on the cross, to remember how much he did to make sure that you and I could stand before God full and free, without fear, but instead with anticipation for the glory that lies before us in the name of the Lord Jesus. So at this time, I'm going to ask our servers if they would come and begin to prepare. And I'm going to ask you to put on the best listening ears you've put on today because we have not taken communion together this way in quite some time, and so I'm going to give you some instructions at this moment. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and after I've prayed, I'm going to invite you who are able to step out and into the center aisle and receive from our trustees and elders a piece of bread. You can just put your hand out like this, and they'll hand you a piece, and then you can go ahead and take the cup. We would then invite you to go back down Uh, the front or the center aisle and go back to your seats from the outside aisle. So come up the middle and go back the outside. We're going to ask you to hold on to your elements today until you've been seated and we will pray over both the bread and the cup and participate in communion together. 
If there is anybody who does not feel physically or is not physically able to uh, grab from the folks who are in front of you today, they will come to you. All you need to do is once folks have been served, just put a hand up like this, shoulder high, and they will come to you and serve you this morning. And so today I'm going to pray and we're going to ask that the presence of the Lord would be keenly felt in our midst. And then you can stand and come and receive the elements and return to your seat with them. And then we'll pray over the elements together. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed that you sent your son Jesus into this world to make a way for us. Lord, we were dead in our sin and trespasses. We had no hope of eternity with you until Jesus. He made a way. And today we celebrate that way with everything in us, honoring the one who gave his all on behalf of us. We praise you and thank you today, Lord Jesus, and do this in remembrance of you. You can stand and you can come center aisle to the outside aisle. Is there anyone today who has not been served? We'll come to you. Just raise a hand to shoulder height.
the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now I commend you, I'm sorry, forgive me, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Today we have the opportunity to do something in remembrance of his great sacrifice but also to do something in proclamation. Today, as we take these elements, we do so in worship, proclaiming that we fully expect the Lord Jesus to return and do what he promised in the book of Revelation, to make all things new. This blood, this cup, this bread signifies the ability of the one true God who manifested himself in Jesus Christ to make all things new for you and for me. Lord Jesus, this bread we hold in our hand today is a symbol of your body, your body that was broken for your people. You gave your entire life for us, not just those hours on the cross, but every moment of every day that you were on this planet was for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were not idle with your gift of life, but you used it. You used your mortal body to give life to our mortal bodies. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for first being a servant. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to us and giving your entire life for each and every one of us. Let us eat the bread together. Lord Jesus, the Bible teaches that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. For the lifeblood of a creature is the most important thing. Without blood, there is no life. Your lifeblood, Lord Jesus, was the most precious element that ever touched the earth. And it touched the earth not by the will of a Roman procurator, not by the will of high priests and scribes. Your blood touched the earth by the will of your Father. For it was to make a covering, a covering over human sin, guilt, and trespass. Lord Jesus, I thank you today that I will not stand before you on my own merits. I will not have to beg for entrance into the kingdom of God. Instead, as everyone here understands, we will stand before you saying, I have been covered by the blood of the Lamb who washes away the sins of the world. 
So thank you, Lord Jesus, for washing away our sin. We honor and praise you. Let us drink together. For just a moment in this time of reverence and prayer, I would ask you, in your own words and in your own way, to say thank you to the Lord for that which he has done. I'll give you just a moment to thank and praise him, not with the cymbals or the drums, not with the guitars and the piano, but with a song from your heart. Would you take a moment to thank the Lord? Jesus. Our sins, they were many, but your mercy is more. Be honored and hallowed in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you today. In the seat back in front of you, you will find a small little oval-shaped thing in which you can put your cup so you don't have to hang on to that for the rest of the service this morning. And at this time, I am going to invite the young disciples. You can head on down the hall and get a message on your level. And we will see you in just a bit. For those of you who are remaining in the house today, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to where we have been, the end of the book of John. We are in John chapter 21 this morning. And we have been looking at all of the different interactions of Jesus with people after the resurrection of Christ. We've been doing this since Easter Sunday morning, and we have been looking at all the different ways that Jesus demonstrates that new life is possible, that change is possible, that salvation is possible, that commissioning is possible, and that the life we lived before the resurrection can be different than the life we lived after the resurrection. And last week we left off talking about that miraculous catch of fish, which reminds us that we are all to be participating in bringing in the great harvest of fish, the great, the great harvest of wheat that the Bible talks about, that many people will be saved because of the opportunities that we had to reach out to them and to go catch them, if you will, for Jesus. A number of years ago, I was in seminary, and, and we were having great discussion. Seminary is, is master's degree for pastors, for those of you who might not know that. That's where you go get your MDiv, your Master of Divinity, and don't I feel divine. But anyhow, uh, we would uh, have these things called colloquiums, and that was a time where we would do some learning, and then we would uh, discuss with other pastors or people, people studying to be pastors all of the deep theology, all of the deep Bible stuff, all of the pastoral things that, that we would need to discuss having learned a bunch. 
Well, I would get up at 6 in the morning, and I'd get a quick breakfast, and I'd head down to Ashland Seminary, where I was going to school. And one morning, I was running a little bit late, so I threw on my off-white sweater that I like to wear a lot of days and a pair of jeans, and I ran to Dunkin' Donuts at the corner of whatever that is, Cuyahoga Falls Avenue and, and, and Talmadge or whatever that is, and I got myself a hot cup of coffee and a glorious jelly donut. I ate that on the way down to class, and then I had about an hour of instruction, and then we had two solid hours of discussing all those beautiful, deep things of the faith. And I'm sitting there with some pastors who've pastored for 30 years and are just now getting to go get their master's. Maybe they had an undergraduate degree. Sitting there with guys from different denominations, Methodists and Lutherans and Baptists and, and Charismatics like me, and we're having these deep discussions. And, and so... After that, you know, morning session, I, I stopped in the restroom, and I saw something that horrified me. On my off-white sweater was a jelly stain the size of a baseball. And I looked in the mirror and thought, I just tried to sound as smart and intelligent and brilliant as I'll get out for the last two hours with a jelly stain on my white shirt. So I did what any self-respecting person would do. I got the antibacterial soap and started going like this, which did nothing. I had to go back to class and have two more hours of afternoon discussion looking the fool. And I remember thinking to myself, I kid you not, as I looked in that bathroom mirror, Matt, you spent the entire morning trying to sound intelligent, and you looked like an idiot. It was humbling. But isn't being humbled good now and again? Doesn't it, doesn't, doesn't it, isn't it good not to take ourselves so seriously? Because when we are humbled, it says that God's able to bestow grace upon us. In fact, we are told three times in the scripture that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Well, we're going to see a story all about that today on the other side of the resurrection. Something that shows us proof positively that when our pride falls down, God's grace can bring us to restoration and a better place. In fact, he can make all things new. I want to take you this morning to the story of Jesus' commissioning of Peter. Simon Peter, Simon son of John, the lead apostle, Pearly Gates Peter. And we're going to see his pride fall down and God's grace be extended to him. And perhaps if we are blessed today, our pride can fall down to the point where God's grace can be extended to us. If you're in John chapter 21, we're going to be in verse 15 and following. And in short order, we're going to turn back to John chapter 13 to see a parallel passage. So just be ready to get those fingers a-flippin', okay? When they had finished breakfast, verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This he said to show him what kind of death by which he was to glorify God. After saying this, Jesus said, follow me. Now, John gives us a note here right at the end. Let's just deal with that before we get into the passage itself. We know from church history that Peter was crucified upside down in martyrdom. Peter eventually died for Christ in the city of Rome. And therefore, John was aware of these events and exactly how his good friend Peter had died by the time that he wrote this book and wanted us to know that Jesus let him know ahead of time that this would be happening. And this does make plenty of sense with the passage we're going to read in John chapter 13 because Peter volunteers for such a thing. But let's get back to this passage and what's going on in the immediate Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Now, normally three is a good number. I'm told if you can't have symmetry, do things in threes. Is that right? If you can't have one and two or or two and four, you need to have three. Three is a good number. Don't proceed to four. Don't stop at two. Five is right out. The number shall be three. But in this case, three is not good. Three is not good at all because three is a reminder Three is something that brings to mind something in Peter, something that grieves Peter. And that three is a reminder that by all, by all accounts, the lead apostle, the one who's closest to Jesus, denied him three times. This three is supposed to be measured against that three. In fact, one commentator of the Bible who I respect very much said, we must read John chapter 21 in conjunction with the denial of Jesus. Because that's what Jesus is doing. He is reminding Peter of something powerful. Now, I'm not going to take you back to the denials themselves. What I'd like to do in John 13 is to take you back to the moment Jesus predicted them. Because you're going to see the same language is used in John chapter 13 as is seen in John chapter 21. So if you got those fingers ready, turn back in your Bible. Or if you you can scroll back in your Bible to chapter 13, verse 36 and following, you're going to see what Jesus says to Peter and what Peter says to Jesus prior to Jesus' death. Jesus had been talking about the fact that he was going away, and Thomas and Peter picked up on the idea. We talked about Thomas three weeks ago. Jesus is going to die. And this is what Peter says to him in verse 36. Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say unto you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Did you you feel that language? That, That language that was the same in chapter 21 where he says truly, truly again to Peter? In this particular case, Jesus has not yet died. He is in the vicinity of Jerusalem, and Jesus is letting them know, I'm going away, and where I'm going, you can't follow. And Peter, in his bombastic, self-assured style, says, I'll die for you. If that's where you're headed, I will die with you and for you. And Jesus says, no, you won't. And I know that you won't. Peter, you are not who you think you are. 
And the truth of the matter is, Peter was wrong about who he thought he was. Peter was wrong about who he was. He thought that his faith, trust, belief, love of Jesus was strong enough that he would follow him even unto death. It's interesting that the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record similar statements of Jesus in this moment. Peter says in other Gospels, Jesus, if all fall away from you, if all leave you in the dust, I will never fall away. It's Peter later on in this same chapter. Jesus kneels down and washes the feet of his disciples in the same way that we were talking about the servanthood of Christ with his physical body. He kneels down and washes the feet of his disciples. And what does Peter say? Not me, Lord. You can wash these other idiots' feet, but I revere you too much to have you wash my feet. Peter consistently sets himself up as the apostle of apostles, the one who's figured it out, the one who is close to Jesus, the one whose faith is settled, and Jesus says, you're wrong about who you think you are. You don't have your faith settled. In fact, you are going to go to the opposite extreme on the night before my death. You are going to deny you knew me or ever knew me. That's huge. I mean, I mean as I was looking at this very point today, this morning, I put my hand down on my notes and I realized something was missing. And it was my wedding ring. And I looked down and thought, oh, I took that off last night and placed it on the nightstand. This is a sign of who I am and what I have promised and to whom I belong. This is it right here. Peter was sure that he knew where he belonged and who he belonged to and, and what he had promised, and it was all settled until it wasn't. Fear drove him on some level to deny Jesus three times, not once, not, not one time, and then he went, oh, 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 what am I doing? What am I thinking? Of course, not twice, but three times. Jesus was saying to Peter in John chapter 13, you don't love me near as much as you think. You won't be laying down your life for me or with me. In fact, you'll disassociate yourself from me completely three times. Peter was wrong about who he was. Peter talked a big game, but he couldn't back it up. Peter was the guy that says, throw me the football and drops it in the end zone. Pass me the ball and then misses the layup. That means that when Jesus is raised from the dead, and this is very human, on some level he couldn't celebrate like everybody else. Have you ever, this is just for the guys here, just, just for the guys for a minute, you ever out with your wife and say something really stupid? You know, something that just, you go, oh, that was dumb. And she just gives you that sideways glance for just a second. And then we're back into normal conversation. And you think to yourself, we'll be having that conversation later. <laughs> Peter was living in such a worse tension for a number of days. He had to have been. When's Jesus going to talk to me about this? He's raised from the dead and I'm so glad, but is he going to address this with me? Are we going to have that talk? John chapter 21, verse 15 and following, that's the talk. Now, let's get back to the passage at hand. Let's break it down piece by piece. We know from what we're going to read next week that Jesus and Peter had gone aside, because later on it tells us that John followed them. So this is not being asked around the breakfast fire. He has taken Peter aside, and, and John probably wants to know what's going on, so he's followed. But they, they go to aside, and, and, and 
Jesus interestingly says, Simon, son of John, who gave Peter the name Peter? It was Jesus. Jesus called him the rock. Here in this moment, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Did you notice that first question? It's not the same as the others. Do you love me more than these? Autus in the Greek. Do you love me more than these? Now, what does the these refer to? Do the these refer to, do you love me more than these guys back here? Do you love me more than these guys love me? Or do you love me more than all this fishing equipment that is surrounding us? Those are the three things that have been uh, questioned. What, what does these refer to? But within the context, I, I believe it's very clear. He's referring to these bombastic statements of Peter. Do you love me more than these guys? Because Peter's already left home and fishing equipment and all of that to follow Jesus. He's already decided to follow Jesus. The question is, do you love me more than these guys over here? Because that's what you've been saying to me for a long, long time, and that's what the Gospels all record, that Peter thought he was in better standing with Christ than these guys. Do you love me more than these? This puts Peter in a weird spot, a very weird spot. Let me liken it to something maybe you've experienced. Have you ever, either by commission or omission, by act or neglect, hurt somebody that you loved deeply? Whether you gave them something that they didn't deserve or didn't give them something that they did deserve, you hurt them deeply. And your inclination as a human being is to affirm your love for that person, but your act the thing that you did or didn't do does not speak love. It puts you in a weird position, doesn't it? Because you want to say, I love you, but your actions have, have, have made it look otherwise. That's the position Peter is in. Not only this, but Peter has demonstrated to these guys over here and to Jesus that he believes that he loves Jesus supremely while they do not. Jesus was helping Peter in this moment to point out just how wrong he was about his beliefs about himself. Jesus was helping him to point out, Peter, you have made these statements and you have lived in such a way that your faith and your love and your belief in me was decided, but it was not. We're going to have this conversation to point out to you just how wrong you are. So when Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Would you really have laid down your life for me? Do you, would you really have not deserted me while they did? Peter answers wisely. Peter says to Jesus, you know that I love you. Now, in human terms, that could be manipulative. You know that I love you. you got to believe it in spite of But that's not what Peter is doing. And this is the one thing in the Greek I'm going to point out today. And I say one thing because for those of you who have studied Bibles, or maybe you've studied this passage before, you may know that there are multiple words, not multiple, there are two different words for love in this passage. There's two different words for the verb to know. There's two different words for the words sheep. And there's two different words in the Greek for tend and feed of those sheep. If I got into all the variables and permutations of those four variables today, we could be here for two hours. In fact, that was my plan. We're going to go ahead and do that and go right to the missions lunch so you don't go home. But no, I'm just going to point out one thing in the Greek today, one thing that doesn't come across in the English. The you is emphatic, but I don't believe it's a human you. I believe it's a divine you. And I, I say that on the grounds of the third time Peter says these things. He says, 
Jesus, you yourself know that I love you. I don't know that I can claim it because of what I've done. I've denied you three times. Denied even knowing you. But you, Jesus, don't do this to your spouse or a loved one when you hurt them. You know, you yourself know. You, you know that I love you because you're Jesus. And Jesus responds, well, in that case, if, if, and forgive me, if we have disabused ourselves of the notion that you are the supreme Christian on earth, then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus was helping him to point out just how wrong he'd been in his attitude and in his pride. Then Jesus asks him a second time, but he drops the these. Look down in your Bibles. He looks at him a second time and says, Peter, do you love me? The these is gone. We've dealt with the these. We've dealt with the pride of Peter pretending he was the supreme Christian on earth. And Peter probably wishes we were done here. So we've dealt with that, that you think you loved me more than the others. Now Jesus says, do you just love me? And Peter says, you know, you know. You're Jesus, you, you know. Because you're God, I love you. In spite of all of my actions, I love you. In spite of not being there when you died, in spite of denying you, I love you. And Jesus says, tend my lambs, tend my sheep. I don't know the difference, and I, I, I mean this, and it's, it's not lack of research between tend and feed. I, I could probably study for, for years and never get to the bottom of it because there is no further explanation in John between those words tend and feed. But we do know from John, when we're talking about the sheep and tending and feeding, what Jesus is implying here is, you're going to be the one to teach them my word. You're going to be the one to teach them my commandments. You're going to be the one to teach them about how to live as a Christian. You're the one who's going to tell them about me so they'll believe. All of what's necessary to, to protect the sheep. And he says to him, again, tend my sheep. Tend my lambs. Look after them. And if it had ended here, we would have just disabused Peter of the notion that he was the better Christian than the others. But Jesus asks him a third time. Peter, Simon, Simon, do you love me? And at this the Bible tells us that Peter was grieved. What's going on here? It's not till this very moment that he knows for sure that Jesus is addressing his denials. At first, he's dealing with his pride, right? Do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep. Then he, he, now that he knows that Peter knows that that was wrong, that just feed my sheep. But now it's the third time. The third time. Jesus was addressing those three denials by asking him three times, do you love me? And we know on the weight of scripture that at this moment Peter got it. He was grieved. Grieved in his spirit. And I go one step further, and I mentioned this last week. The last time that Jesus and Peter, or that Peter stood by a charcoal fire was in the high priest's court that night where he denied him. Jesus made a charcoal fire that morning. He has in some ways reset the scene at the moment that he is going to commission Peter, and it says he felt grief. 
You know the feeling of grief? Like someone took a brick and covered it in acid and dropped it into your gut. And that acidic breath, that acidic brick had the power to steal your very breath from you. And he's grieved. Because he's coming into full contact with the weight of his sin. And at this point, the only thing Peter can do is to appeal even further to the knowledge of Christ. Because he's broken. I believe this third repetition of the question broke Peter's pride. I really do. That's why Jesus is doing it. He's breaking Peter down bit by bit, section by section. Because he's not just going to be cured from what ails him by one question. He has to feel the weight of what has happened. And Jesus doesn't have to use guilt. He doesn't have to use shame. He doesn't have to use anger. He doesn't have to yell at him. He doesn't even have to say, I can't believe you denied me. He just has to ask him three times, and it hits. The weight of his spiritual pride versus his spiritual fall. And at this point, Peter says to Jesus, you know everything. Everything. You predicted that I would deny you, but you know right now, in spite of all the circumstances, that I love you. You know everything. You know everything, Jesus. You know everything. You know that I love you. And without a word of rebuke, Jesus says, feed my sheep. He's, he's helped Peter feel the weight of that sin and pride, but he doesn't need to stay there because Jesus is not in the business of making you feel bad to feel bad. He's breaking Peter so he can use him. It's not about the person that Peter wasn't. It was about the person that Peter was going to become. That's what this conversation was about. He doesn't let Peter off the hook. He allows him to feel the weight of the denial. He allows him to feel the weight of being so prideful. But in essence, this brokenness that he's bringing about in Peter is not so Peter will feel bad. He breaks him so he can use him. That's what's going on here. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, follow me. That's the point of this conversation. If you deny me three times, Peter, I'm going to commission you three times. Because I know what I see for you and in you. So let's deal with this and let's move past it. And that's what Jesus does. He wants to disabuse us of those ridiculous notions we have that are based in spiritual pride. He wants us more broken than he wants us feeling whole. And I don't mean he wants us broken in terms of like the world's brokenness, like I'm, I'm fearful or I'm anxious or I'm depressed or I'm struck. Not that broken. Broken before him in a realization that I don't stand before you in pride, Lord. I do stand before you as one who has failed. I have made mistakes. I don't think of myself as anything special, but I trust in your perfect knowledge that you know that in my heart I love you and in my heart I'll serve you. And this is what just destroys me about this story because I live here so many of my days. Going back to the Lord in prayer and saying, oh, 
why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I neglect that? Again and again and again. Three times would be great. Three times would be swell. Three times I could maybe do, but, but God, you know that I love you. I just wish I could erase that thing, that stuff that I've done wrong again and again. That pride that makes us live like we don't even know him. From Sunday to Sunday, sometimes acting like there is no Jesus. But then happy to reignite our fellowship with him the minute we walk in the doors of 3833 Hudson Drive. That, 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 that fleshly sin where we seek fulfillment in the created thing rather than the creator, acting like he does not exist again and again and again. That fear that we live in, like Peter lived in at the high priest courtyard that night, that fear that makes us act as if we have never spent time in the presence of Christ, denying him by our very overwhelm that we serve a risen Savior who has erased sin and death and fear and angst. That those moments where we act as if he does not exist happen for us a lot more than we realize. And what he is after is change. Is us to be broken in that and confront that and deal with that and put it away forever. Because the Lord Jesus has a vision for the person he's made you to be. He doesn't need you to stay stuck in the person that you were that didn't measure up. He has a vision for the person he's made you to be. Tend my sheep, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, follow me. He doesn't want you staying in that brokenness. He wants you to respond to his voice and to move forward for him. For he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to make all things new, and he came that you would partner with him in that endeavor. And we vacillate as Christians between the two. I vacillate there too. I move from my spiritual pride to my feelings of brokenness and in my spiritual pride, I act like I've got it all together and I know all the answers and I know all the right things and I'm good with God. And how are you doing today, Pastor? Man, I feel blessed. To the other side going, oh, how could God ever use me if he only knew how I'd lived as if he didn't exist? I don't know if any of you have been on that pendulum or on that seesaw, but we're not to stay there. We are to catch a vision of the person that he's designed us to be and say, Lord, make me like you. Lord, make me like you. I will follow you. Jesus said to Peter, you can't follow me now, but you will follow me after. Some of us need to get to after today. 
after the brokenness. And Jesus is saying to us in his gentle voice, truly, truly, I say unto you, you will follow me. You will. But let's disabuse ourselves of the notion that we've got it all figured out. Let's deal with pride. Let's confess our sin. And the one who is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness will make us new. Let's allow the Lord to break what needs to be broken in order to break the pattern and move us closer to the likeness of the Savior. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? I would invite you today to pray one of two prayers or two prayers if necessary. The first would be this, Lord, where have I been operating in spiritual pride? Whether it's in my workplace or my marriage, my friendships, my parenting. Where have I been acting like I've got it all together rather than relying on you and seeking you? demonstrating you. That would be one prayer. The second prayer today would be to confess sin. To say, Lord, you know all things and you know where I've failed you. But I encourage you today, as I just quoted 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He wants to cleanse you today of that and then move you on to his mission for you, what he's called you to do. He wants to commission you today and remind you why you sit in church listening to a pastor, why you read your Bible and pray and go to small groups and listen to Christian radio. It's not just to survive, it's to do what he's called you to do. Lord, move me on. I think I've explained our tasks and prayer sufficiently, so let's just make this place a house of prayer for a few minutes and allow the Lord to speak to our hearts.
Lord Jesus, you are so faithful to speak when we give you the time. Lord, I pray for brothers and sisters of mine here today that have fallen into the trap of acting like we've got it together, maybe even believing it in our heart. But around us is brokenness of which we are a part. Around us are bruised feelings that we have participated in. Around us are opportunities missed because of a stiff neck and a hardened heart. Oh, to not be a stiff-necked people. And oh, to have a heart of flesh. of us who are grieved, grieved at being in that same place of failure. Oh God, would you first forgive us? And we call upon the name of the Lord to heal us, to make us new. We admit to you today we don't have the strength to do it. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. We do want to follow you. And I pray, Lord, that you would silence the mouth of the accuser who wants us to stay in grief and speak into our ear those words daily that we need to hear, follow me. Make us new. God, we trust that you have been at work. Continue that work from this day forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you are able, would you stand today? As we mentioned earlier, please stop by in the lobby and put some bids on some wonderful items to help send our team to Mexico. Stop and pay for lunch if you're coming back or sneak in if you're not eating. And uh, let's have some fun together as a church this afternoon. But for now, God bless you, and we'll see you soon.